Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm your host today, Valentino Stoll. I'm joined today by Luke Stutters. Hello. And our special guest today is David Sanchez. David, you want to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is David Sanchez, and I'm a full-stack developer at SafeLove. So, yeah, you can follow me at, uh, in my Twitter. I think it's my favorite social app. <laughs> so, yeah. That's great. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. And, uh, you know, we, we brought you on today to talk about kind of a uh, a torn topic amongst the Rails community, I think. Uh, GraphQL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you wrote this great article on kind of introducing GraphQL APIs into a Rails application. I just thought it was great. Do you want to just talk a little bit maybe what prompted this, you know, great article of yours and what you just generically love about GraphQL? Oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think it's, it's very, <laughs> it's, it's weird to read something about Rails and GraphQL. I know that, yeah, the reason of this post was more for, because I was, I was interesting, interested in, in, in learning something about GraphQL and how that works and just compare it with REST. That was the reason of the post. Uh, honestly, I haven't done anything with GraphQL in production, <laughs> but yeah, that was the reason of that post. And, and I've, as you see in the post, it's a comparison with REST. Uh, so yeah, the advantages, uh, disadvantages, how you can create GraphQL APIs uh, on Rails. So yeah, that's the reason of, of this post. Awesome. So so let's run through kind of where people are coming from. You know, REST, RESTful APIs. That for those that forget, it's the get, post, put, patch, you know, delete operations from HTTP kind of wrapped together that rails kind of everyone's favorite operations (laughs) everyone's (laughs) favorites (laughs) uh so what so what are some of the advantages i know you you go through them kind of in the article here but if you want to just start at the high level then we can dig in oh sure uh talking first with rest yeah let's start with rest and then we can uh see how graphql kind of transitions it okay sure Okay, so well, in my case, some favorite things about REST are resources. Uh, I well, I think the the heart of Rails is working with with resources. You know, so you can match those actions, well, the, those HTTP actions with 
actions in, in, in the controller. So I think that's really interesting. And, and that's my favorite, favorite part uh, about Rails. And I think some of the advantages uh, as well, the, the advantage I, I find interesting just uh, I put in that post is about the scalability. So you can separate these resources and you can actually create namespaces and move between these resources. And even if you create, if you want to create different teams or actually if you are working with different applications, I mean, backend application and frontend application, you can have different teams in charge of these resources. So I think the scalability works really good with REST. And the other one is the flexibility uh, you have uh, because you can manage some formats like JSON. I, I don't know if XML uh, is really relevant these days, but obviously there are many applications that use XML, but JSON, for example. The other one is, well, the independence, stateless communications. So I think these are my favorite things about REST. Obviously, there are some disadvantages that you can manage in different things. For example, overfetching. You know? Sometimes you need less data, but the, the API returns a, a big, <laughs> a big attribute object with, with many attributes, and you can manage this thing. For example, using query params in your API. So I just want this in a query string, and you can filter that in a in the API. Or the the, the other case, underfetching when you need more data, but you need to fetch to other API just to get extra attributes or extra resource or nested resources. So you can manage this in, in, in with query params. I don't know. I'm, I'm fetching to the user API, but I just want the, I don't know, the profile so I can find the profile. I can send the profile in a query param and just return in the, the same API. So there are some approaches you can use with REST, but obviously there are some disadvantages. And versioning, so, you know, I think is the most difficult part for REST is like, okay, I broke this API, maybe <laughs> I should version in this. <laughs> but yeah, version is is, is a, a difficult part because you, you need to be careful with this because, you know, clients and, and that stuff. So yeah, this is with REST. And, and obviously, uh, GraphQL helps you with some of these cases, but yeah, this is the part of REST. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I remember the days learning REST and having kind of a hard problem <laughs> uh, underst <laughs> understanding the concepts until really you think of it in terms of resources, right? Where you have an object-oriented mindset and you wrap REST around that. It makes a lot of sense. But as soon as you start, kind of nesting too many things or you have too many relationships of the data and the resources, it starts to get messy really fast, I feel, right? And I feel like that's kind of the point where I always look to graph, right? Like graphed data is relationships, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, an advantage I miss is like you can develop so fast, I guess, and, and keep your roads and your controllers uh, order in, in a way because it's easy to go to the roads and, and see, okay, this is the resource, go to the resource. And it is, it's really easy to to develop if you keep in this way your, your application, you know, talking about resources. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I remember reading an article or interview of uh, DHH and they, they, uh, they kind of 
pried into how he does controllers. And there's like a controller for everything, like more and more <laughs> controllers, right? <laughs> so or honing actions. those resources. Yeah, or actions, right? Like honing or trying to adhere specifically to rest, right? So like less less custom actions and more like controllers that hone in on those more narrow focused resources. And I mean, when you apply it like that, I think it makes a lot of sense. But you know, <laughs> having worked in GraphQL for so long, there, there are just so many things I like about it a lot more. And I would I would love to dig into that because, <laughs> you the know, I, yeah, the good parts. I mean, personally, I, versioning an API has kind of like become a, you know, more of a chore than anything. <laughs> I yeah. feel like with especially once you get more than one version under your belt, it's I feel like that's definitely like you had mentioned, one of the huge drawbacks of RESTful APIs. What do you mean? You just stick a slash V1 on the front, <laughs> slash V2, what more could there be to it? How many their applications are broken because they missed versioning the APIs? Yeah, I mean, I know several products we won't mention, but they it's it's easy to miss when you're first starting out, right? And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of people using it and you're like, I need to change this. Like, can't, <laughs> can't break this for everybody, right? Yeah. Other thing I miss uh, to mention with REST is about the statuses. I think this is super important. Just manage the, the status because there are some things in the front front end applications I've seen is like you are receiving a response in the API and and then you have a okay status is okay, but you have a data or the body with with a message that yeah, there is an error. You know, so it's important. Well, I think it's really helpful to manage these statuses and and, and a good balance between the statuses and, and messages, you know? So I think this is really helpful to address that you can manage all these responses when you have good statuses and messages in the APIs. Totally. I'd have to agree with that. So what got you into kind of looking into GraphQL as, as an option or were you just interested in it? What 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 started that journey for you? I think the people was a kind of, uh, oh, GraphQL, and, and we have other tools to create APIs. More, I don't know if the, the JavaScript community, is, is, it was like, okay, we have our tool to create applications with React and using GraphQL. And, and it was like, mm, sounds interesting. And, and the way GraphQL managed dynamic attributes or, or, or resources in the, in the API. So, okay, it's out. Really interesting. And, and talking about, well, now talking about with GraphQL, obviously sounds really interesting that you can send, okay, now I want these extra attributes and I just can ask to the API those attributes or, okay, I now I need to an export resource or I don't know. So, okay, I can ask to the API that resource. So, oh, it's really fun. But obviously there is some drawbacks like, Impulse one issues, or you can you, with, with GraphQL, you only have two thousand status responses, and and this stuff like sounds really good, but when you are working with a GraphQL API, you see that it has a lot of drawbacks, you know. So the interesting part for me it was okay, you can manage dynamic attributes and and resources, and sounds really interesting when you are. I'm not a mobile developer, but sounds really interesting for them just to not overfetching, well, underfetching uh, or 
fetching to other APIs to get more attributes or resources. So that's a, a really good part. But when you are doing that, you, you realize that, okay, we have this problem and then these other problems. So, but yeah, for me, the, the interesting part be, uh, with GraphQL was the dynamic attributes and resources in, in the API. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. There are, there are definitely some drawbacks to GraphQL. But definitely, there's a, it's a huge learning cur- curve to begin with, right? Go on, Valentino. But Come on. Admit <laughs> the truth. Don't do admit it. Don't truth. do it. <laughs> yeah, but why? Come on. Why? What makes you love it? Why can't you just use REST like a real Rails developer? What makes you love it so much? <laughs> See, this is why I think you love it, because it reduces developer conversations. You don't have to have a conversation with someone and say, oh, can you add a red standpoint for this? Can you add me an endpoint for that? It kind of completely eliminates the need to build people custom endpoints. People can go away and build their endpoint without talking to me personally. Would you agree with that being one of the real value propositions? Yeah, I think that's the point. You can obviously, and I think, this goes or improve the way you, the documentation, you know, because yeah, that's when front ends is like, okay, I, now I want an API that returned this, or I, I don't know, or can you help me with other endpoint that helped me with this? Or So you need to document add, add all the attributes and resources you have in the documentation. And this probably reduce the communication between front end and, and back end. So yeah, that's the point. I'm convinced. I'm convinced there's a scaling thing here. Yeah, it was really interesting. So uh, obviously, Valentino is sitting on like Doximity, which is massive and uses like really sensitive data. Whereas generally, I'm not sitting on enormous like that kind of scale stuff. Not for years. Oh, um, so it's really, really interesting to to see what he likes about it. Yeah, and it has become you know like React. It's kind of it's got everywhere. Yeah, I think that was the thing that you know, push GraphQL, all the React community. And yeah, it's a big one. So obviously working with React, probably, I don't know, 90% of React developers use GraphQL. So yeah, I think that was I'm working the on a I'm working on a GraphQL joke, right? Try it out on you. Here's my here's my GraphQL joke. Oh, Valentina, but I'll say it for him. It needs some work, okay? This is, this right. is a joke in progress, okay? <laughs> Why can't JavaScript developers use REST instead of GraphQL? Because when you get more than 10 endpoints, they run out of fingers. (laughs) I can laugh. That was a good one. It needs, yeah. it, needs, it, 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 it needs to be punched up. You can see where I'm going with it. Are we, are we rolling? We are rolling. Yes. <laughs> So what were we talking I was about? just singing your praises, Valentino. I was talking about how uh, how amazing uh, your uh, excellent your Tate and APIs is. But on a more serious note, you're you're working at really big scale, Doximity. You've got a lot of users, you've got a lot of data, and you've got to kind of move pretty fast too. And you know, I just don't have that. I generally do small smaller products, you know, with a kind of a less you know churn, and you know things are moving a lot less quickly. So I want my endpoints to stay nice and stationary where they are. You know, I, and I'm not usually working with kind of large team developers. I know everyone that I work with. No one's going to phone me up in the afternoon and go, how does this work? 
And I, I think there is a huge, there's, there's a cutoff point, isn't there? At which point, once you get past a certain level of scale, then GraphQL doesn't become kind of cool and interesting, but actually becomes really important and valuable. But I don't know what that point is. What is that cutoff point? I, I don't know that there is a point. I knew there. you'd say that. I knew uh, you'd say it. You'd say it's just always. <laughs> it's more, well, well, you know, it, it's all about data modeling, right? Like, yeah. you don't, if you know in advance, that, you know, this goes back to the whole NoSQL discussion, right? Of like horizontal versus vertical tabling, right? Like if you know in advance or time series is an example, like if you know in advance that you're going to be tracking all of your data in with co- within the context of time, doing storing your data in a time series database makes the most sense, right? You're going to get the most performance because that's how you're going to be using it. If you know in advance that your data is very relational and most of your lookups are going to depend on those relationships, it makes more sense to store it as a graph. Whether you use GraphQL or Neo4j or, or some other graph database, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think it's most important to focus on the structure of the data and how you'll be using it. For most cases, I feel like in Rails, if you're just like starting up a new project, and you're experimenting, REST is good because you can move quickly. All the things are there. They're modular. You can move them around. And like you said, Luke, uh, you know, you just don't need it. You can get everything that you need out of a traditional MySQL or Postgres table. But I, I feel like once you, if you have more than one client, let's say, and client, I mean a service that is fetching that data. Once you get to that multiple client environment, GraphQL can solve a lot of problems, even if that data isn't structured for graph. Because you have multiple clients, the graph helps consolidate and unify the fetching of that data. And I think that's what REST is missing a lot. Yeah, as a, as a REST developer, I think it's easier to start with REST because even some conventions are created around this REST architecture. So yeah, and talking about GraphQL, you need to take in, yeah, you need to, I don't know, think different, you know, because you you have a single source through and you need to probably think different in your uh, when you model the data. So, but I agree that GraphQL solves some problems with clients probably, but you need to be careful <laughs> when you work with GraphQL, because if working with REST, you have many problems with M plus one. Yeah, you really have many problems with M plus one. With GraphQL, probably <laughs> you will have more problems, you know? So you need to be pretty careful uh, modeling your data. So folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, you guys get like a billion errors a month. Uh, what, what are some of the more interesting errors that you've seen over the years? Oh, that's that's a good question. We certainly deal with a lot of errors. Um, a couple of things uh, come to mind. Um, when we very first launched, and we kind of expected, you know, we'd see some people sign up and try it. We actually got one of the uh, top 10 Facebook games. Remember when they were huge? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they, one of the top 10 Facebook games, and it was between us one of the most buggy bits of software I've ever seen. And so it oh, managed to completely blow us off the internet in like our first week of launching. Um, so we, we solved That's that why I couldn't win at poker. <laughs> Those Farmville animals, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And there was another uh, another one always sticks in my mind because obviously we we track JavaScript and just like with mobile era crash reporting, you know, you can't access the end user's browser console to see errors. So you really want to track that and report it. Right. And um, I remember this one customer and uh, they um, had this really fancy animation on the on the cursor on their website. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, their JavaScript to do that, uh, they deployed a bug with it, which meant that on every single mouse move event of every <laughs> single customer they had would send a uh, an error report to Raygun. Um, so, it, you know, working at Raygun is like dealing with a constant distributed denial of service attack and uh, doing it with style. So, so if you want to know what kinds of interesting things are going on that you're not seeing in your app, you ought to check out Raygun. Um, the, they're doing a free trial right now. You can get it at raygun.com. Do you get a lot of N plus one action balancing We used to. You know, you learn to adapt with that because it, like David said, it is a mind, mind shift, mindset shift that you start adopting what's called batch loading or data fetchers, which basically help you consolidate similar queries to avoid the M plus ones and basically run deferred active record querying that help batch together, you know, the same kind of queries based on the fields that you're fetching from the graph. So there are solutions to those problems, similarly to the way that there's solutions in a traditional REST API setting, right? Like you just forget to call it includes or you're in a view somewhere. I mean, really, this happens all the time in Rails, right? Like you're in a view somewhere and you do an each statement. And next thing you know, you've just performed, I don't know, 100 queries, like looking up everything in you know, your, your current view. It's not that it's impossible to do in REST either, right? But to David's point, once you start nesting more than one type together, it definitely can hide some of those problems. But in a similar way to Rails, you know, you have the same gems available to identify those cases, right? Like the bullet bullet gem as an example, great way to identify those issues. And even the gem for GraphQL in Rails is really helpful with, with this well, managing all the GraphQL approach. So yeah, I think I agree with you. There are many tools that help you with that issue. So David, let's start with getting started with GraphQL, right? Like say, somebody, okay, somebody has a Rails app out there. They want to try it out. They want to see what all the hubbub is about too, right? Where do they start? Um, okay, so the first thing I is, is probably read my blog post. <laughs> With the <laughs> with the basics of REST and GraphQL, so yeah, both has advantages. And say it is a good blog post. It's very well written. Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and I think is is the the really basic thing is just read about advantages, disadvantages. Where probably with this you will see if you if it's better GraphQL or REST to to your application. So, yeah, I think this is the very first point, you know, to start and just read basics uh, between GraphQL and, and REST. And then just take a middle point. I don't know. Okay, I, I want to build mo- mobile application. So probably REST can help you managing all these stuff from, from the client or I don't know. If you want to create, I don't know, a blog post, for example, but I, I think REST solves everything, you know. So I think it depends or or of the application you want to build, but yeah, starting with the basics is, is a is is really important. And and obviously talking about Rails, we have I think the the gem 
GraphQL Rails is the, the gem is really amazing because it really helpful with the starting points, you know. It, you ha- if you run the, the, the install command, you, you have now the, the endpoint and, and all the basics stuff with, with GraphQL types, object types, and those stuff that, you, uh, that it can help you with, with, with your GraphQL endpoints. So yeah, I think this is the first things I can recommend. So let's take a look at this example here that you gave as far as how to model the graph. And when I keep saying the graph, I mean the shape of data. It's kind of how GraphQL works, right? Where you say you have to describe the exact types and shapes that are available, and then it just knows and can fetch, you know, the things in it that you've yeah, defined. Yeah, when you start with GraphQL, uh, you have to define this this stuff. You know, the the objects. Like for example, if you want to return users, for example, okay, users is my object, but this object has has some types, you know, in float, string, boolean. So you need to to start modeling these these stuffs. Like okay, this is my object. This is my these are my types of this model of this object. Sorry, and then you need to define the queries and mutations, you know, because now you have different concepts about about an API. Okay, what is a, a query and what is a mutation? So you need to define these objects. Okay, we have object types. And basically object types is, is like, in this example is, okay, my object type is user. And that is probably the get request you do in, in a REST application and then define the types. GraphQL allow us to define a strong typing. So that's really amazing. So probably it's really helpful for, for to debug, you know, if a, a break, an API just fails, you can see uh, those errors and probably you have a, a typing error, you know? So that's really amazing. And yeah, to start with GraphQL, I think you need to define this object queries, uh, mutations. Mutations are related with with these actions that you modify the the object, for example, put, pause, delete. So mutations are this kind of actions. And query just get actions, you know? I, I want to fetch all users or I want to fetch a user. So yeah, we need to define. And GraphQL, GM managed this in a, in a great way, I think, because you have the mutation files and you can create your query files. So yeah, I think it's, it's an amazing way you can uh, separate this, these queries and mutations. Yeah, for those not familiar, mutations can be thought of as controller actions. Yeah. So uh, every, every mutation is basically you know an action within a specific controller and you can put them anywhere in the graph. So what are some drawbacks that you saw from working with I mean, for me, typing it in the context of Ruby is always controversial. All right, topic. all right, yeah. And I'm glad <laughs> I think you that's said the magic word. Types. Yeah, I, I knew. I was types, waiting types, for you types, to types, t- types. chime in here, Luke. Right. Go ahead. Uh, no, you said the magic word. <laughs> the, um, somebody needs to phone up Mark Zuckerberg and tell him, tell him that a struct is not a type. Who's going to tell him? Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, a the wrong uh... word. It's the wrong word. It's not a type. <laughs> does, does the last 60 years of computing mean nothing to them over in Facebook? How is this a type? How is it a type? Tell me how it's a type. It's not a type. It's a <laughs> Yeah, it can be. <laughs> I think 
Am, am I the only one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a type because, well, if you see this in a high level, you are not defining a type in because this is not validate this is not a validation from the the database or or the code itself you are just telling to the api that you want to receive a string if not receive a string it, it fails but you are not setting a kind of yeah a type in your code you are just setting uh, some restrictions to the api so yeah i think it's more like a struct than a type i think that's like a common misconception with graphql in that because the the language is definitely not applicable to language design, yeah. right? So a type in GraphQL is more structured data than it is a type, yeah. a literal, right? So, you know, a type that you define isn't going to be a Boolean. The, those fields that you define on that structured data on the type, those can be, right, they can be a Boolean, a string, but they can also represent other structured data, and those have their own primitives, Right. And so that's kind of the value I see in GraphQL is that it allows both a mix of structured data and primitives so that you get this nice blend of being able to explicitly defining what this type is, what the object is and what the data structure is and what all of those underlying attributes of it are, whether it's should be a date or it should be a just generic string, a Boolean, like, you know, having it defined by these structures, I feel like helps define things a lot more clearly when you're looking at it. And uh, David, I'd, I'd love to jump into the next piece of this, which is like basically the, the front end you get out of GraphQL. Uh, you wrote about, uh, what is it, Graphy? Yeah, Graph IQL. <laughs> Graph IQL. Yeah. Uh, so what what is that? Describe it to us and what benefits? Yeah, do you Graph IQL is a developer tool that GraphQL Gem bring us. And I think it's really cool just to test your queries and mutations. So yeah, is that's really amazing because you can you are um, you are creating your mutations or your queries, and you can go to this developer tool, open a tab, go to the to to that URL, and actually, when you install that gem, uh, it says that you have this developer tool, and and go to this URL. So, you go to that URL, and you can put your your query or mutation. There are some examples in my my post, and and you can run and and see the the, the data even. You have the documentation in that tool. You can go to to the to the attributes and see if if well the type <laughs> of these attributes and and you are seeing everything the, the documentation. You can test the endpoints. You can see the, the the errors or validations you are adding to to your endpoint. So yeah, that's really fantastic. All right, Luke, let us have it. What I've changed my mind. GraphQL is awesome. It's, it's, it's the best thing. <laughs> I do I do have a GraphQL-related story, though. GraphQL made my brother cry. He's 36 years old. He's a grown man, and it reduced him to tears. Let me tell you how. He is working on a, uh, a computer, computer game startup in New Zealand, and his front-end development team wanted a GraphQL interface, which he was developing. And he was using a tool called Hopscotch, which is a kind of external thing, exactly the same as that Graph IQL, except it's a web service and you can download it. Now, Hopscotch has a big problem. 
if you're using WebSockets and authentication. And the big problem is it doesn't work. If you're using HTTP auth on WebSockets with Hopscotch, you're going to have a very bad time. And the error you're going to get is not obvious at all. And this totally broke him as a man because there's just so much cognitive load on people when they start using GraphQL that as soon as they start to slide this problem, it completely destroys them. Now, the good news is he doesn't listen to this podcast, so he'll never find out I told this story. But I've seen GraphQL literally break grown men and reduce them to tears purely because of cognitive overhead. So it's not all kind of sunshine and rainbows. You know, you have to make that initial initial um, jump. You, there, there is a barrier to entry. So I, I still think there's a, there's a good overhead. I'd like to come back to what you were saying about batching queries, because obviously I came in and saved the day, fixed all his technical problems, and now he's a, now he's a happy man. Now he views GraphQL um, with a smile on his face and a song in his heart. But you talked about batching queries. Were you talking about the batch queries thing from from Shopify? Is that what you use to batch the queries? Uh, so we had talked to somebody who used batch loader. Uh, Jim. Very, very similar. But I think, at you know, it's been a while since we've had to look into adopting a new, you know, data fetcher. This batch loader gem has worked, you know, wonders for us. Works for Netflix, GitLab, lots of other big companies as well. But, you know, it, it works kind of like with Lambdas. So you can defer execution uh, to kind of uh, glob together the results uh, in a nice way. And it does... I would say that actually has a bigger learning curve than GraphQL. Oh my god! <laughs> to get used to, I mean, because it's it's very well, it's functional in nature, uh, which Ruby is not notorious for being. So that those ideas uh, on top of how it works under the hood t- does take some getting used to. <laughs> but I will say that it has solved our yeah. In general, problems. I think if you are gonna use GraphQL with a Rails application, and and I mean uh, monolith. It's a big cure because you have to. Well, when when I work with GraphQL in uh, in Rails, I had to set uh, React in this. Some years ago, you had a Webpacker, and you have to set up React in Rails and just use GraphQL. And I think it was complex to use in Rails in in a Rails monolith because, yeah, you have to to learn about Re- React, then Apollo the client to use GraphQL in React and then combine React inside of Rails and just to, to say a hello world endpoint, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult to start with Rails and GraphQL. With this, I, I'm not saying that GraphQL is, is going to replace Rails or something like that. I think it's another alter- alternative to build APIs uh, for some specific cases, but but yeah, I think is is the the cure is is really big if you want to start with GraphQL and, and Rails, and and also because the, the front end you have to learn obviously React and, and and Apollo and you have to to learn new things with this client because this client is is really big so there, there this has many things and, and and for me it was like oh. How can I cache these things in, in with Apollo? How can I? I don't know. You know, so <laughs> there are many things you need to learn if you want to build a monolith Rails application with GraphQL. So yeah, and then the the problem comes too when you want to uh, federate the graph when you want more than one graph, basically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and you want to stitch them together to make it easier to to access them all from one what place. What does that mean? <laughs> 
so it basically, like, say you have a graph out there and you want access to that graph. You want to basically create clusters and then have something that could point to it. So it makes it seem like it's all one big graph. <laughs> so that way you can access, you know, all the data from a super graph <laughs> and have all of them be independent. So that way you don't have to orchestrate uh, those, you know, connections. You, you, it can be, you know, consolidated in a higher level GraphQL server, basically. Are you using just like a kind of SQL backend or do you have like a magic special graphy database? We have both. It's a mixture. Uh, we have a MySQL database, uh, Percona server, actually a, maybe Aurora. I forget the details. But yeah, it's a SQL database and we use Neo4j for our graph within that right. so that we can create like an adjacent graph. And then we have our, you know, our primary GraphQL server that then sits on top of everything. And that is great. I mean, I would like to talk about so another advantage I think we haven't uh, is, is the modularity or granularity of each individual piece of the graph. We, we use Apollo Studio, which yep. is our like graph IQL version. And it's incredible. The amount of metrics you get out of what data is being fetched uh, what types are being accessed. It's just incredible. At, and you get it at the field level, like say you're getting a all of the users' posts and you know, you're fetching the post name and URL, you know, created at you get the details of okay, you know, this field of the post name has been accessed this many times within this time frame. And so it's really great when we circle back to APIs, right? API versioning, where you're trying to figure out, hey, can we remove this piece of the API in the new version? Are people going to like, you know, start complaining that they have to restructure all of their new adoption of the new API? You know, being able to tell very specifically, oh, like we can't remove that field yet because something is accessing it here. Like 20% of everyone still uses frame. it, that kind of thing. <laughs> Ex exactly. And I mean, it's very clear. You could see what you can and can't remove, right? <laughs> And, and that you just can't get from a REST API easily, right? Like, you can add that, but I think the overhead of doing that um, is going to start adding up. Um, and it just comes for free, you know, in <laughs> in GraphQL once you get set, start setting things up. And, and on, on top of that is you also get authorization control. So at that field level, like if you don't want certain people to be able to view the URL of a post, you can just say restrict this to this roles. And then when the graph comes in with a query, it knows that it can't return data for that field and it will just return nil. And so you can start chip, like honing in very detailed on very specific things. Um, and that's, I feel like, been one of the biggest advantages I've seen from switching from a traditional REST API in a, in a bigger application sense, right? Uh, again, circling back to you, Luke, like, I'm not gonna, you know, make a to-do app and throw GraphQL on it. <laughs> right? But, well, I must admit, yeah, that, the advocacy, who's using what, and what parts of the uh, API is, is a pretty killer feature, especially once you start to scale up. Let's get back to uh, the kind of final piece to this puzzle and and kind of how pagination is involved with, the, with GraphQL. And you you mentioned it briefly kind of at the end of your article, David, with max depth 
and kind of how it relates to the n plus one problem, right? Do you want to just speak to that briefly on what that is? And you know, yeah, yeah, actually, it's a, a really good thing of this gem because it prevents that you. Well, we talk about if you want a user and then want to fetch the account and then want to fetch, I don't know, addresses and you want to fetch other thing, you can prevent this thing. You can set the the levels you want to go deep, you know? So if you set a max, for example, max three uh, is an example, you just want to go user account and address addresses, you know? So it prevents that you go other level of the, the endpoint. So this prevents that you can nest many objects in, in the same query. So this is a great to, tool to prevent M plus one issues. I got some really dumb questions about this. Does it like limit the total number of things in your query or does it limit the number of levels of recursion that query will go through? Yeah, this prevents the, the levels of you when you go deep between your objects I mean, each level of these objects is managed with this number. So, yeah. Because I've never had a, a relationship yeah, also, 10 deep. I'll, I'll say that right now. 10, 10 is a lot of, uh, that's a <laughs> lot of uh, dots, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I will I say it's easier 10, to do with the graph. I don't remember, but I think 10 is, is the default number, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. But yeah. I think Dan is really crazy. <laughs> yeah, another thing to point out here is, you know, if you're fetching data, that's like what they call a connection type, which can have multiple results to it. You can set limits on that. It has hard limits for kind of maximum results that get returned by default. And it does that kind of based on cursors. And I think, I forget what the default is for the GraphQL Rails gem. But there, there's some default uh, attribute that it uses, probably created at or something, or not created ID to search through. Okay, I, I don't remember, but probably yes. Yeah, this was a, a really basic example. So yeah. Well, is there uh, anything else you wanted to talk about here, David? No, I just want to say this just to finish. This is like GraphQL is is an alternative to REST. This is not a a, a battle for who is the best <laughs> the best tool to create api so just yeah make a good choice for for your application and you have other alternatives uh, rest graphql so it's not a battle just choose the best one for you yeah i have to agree with that it's not for everyone <laughs> rails yeah. developers should learn it's not a silver bullet <laughs> every rails developer should learn graphql just like the children at Hogwarts learn defense against the dark arts. All right, well, should we move into picks? Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session 
where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I got some picks. All right, Luke, why don't you go ahead? My pick for this week is your local makerspace. Now, this might seem like a kind of early 2010s thing when people were still allowed to go outside and meet other people in the real world. But fortunately, in many parts of the world, the pandemic is receding and you are allowed to go outside and kind of meet your fellow man now. And I went along to my local makerspace. My local makerspace is called So Make It. It's in Southampton. And our local maker celebrity is James Bruton, who has a kind of million subscriber robots channel. Uh, he doesn't make the robots in Ruby, but everything else about it is fantastic. And uh, there we go. If you want something to do, if you want to kind of build something practical, then quite often you do have a local makerspace that maybe needs some support after they've had a tough time during the pandemic. Go along, meet some people, make some cool stuff. Make spaces. All right. I got just one pick here. I, I didn't catch up fully on my RubyConf 2021 videos watching yet. I found a great list of kind of selected videos that maybe you might have read something about results from them. And it's kind of just a great playlist for what you missed from the last RubyConf. So uh, I'm going to share that. And uh, the other pick I have is I came across a a Wordle alternative called Hurdle. Like you heard it. (laughs) And I am hooked. (laughs) Some of them are super challenging. And I I just love trying to figure out what's playing. (laughs) And and to to make it worse, I try and make Siri also guess and we try and race to the finish. (laughs) It's a little personal game I do. That's Uh, pretty cool. But that's it for me. Hey, uh, David, do you have uh, any picks for today that you want to share? So picks can be any links, uh, videos. They could be, you know, pretty much anything. It doesn't have to be technology related. Just things that you come across in, in life and want others to know oh, about. Okay, okay. Well, I don't have anything in this this moment, but... It can be soccer related too. <laughs> no, uh, just my... Well, actually, my my. Blog post or the sure this this is well my blog here's everything I sent to the chat yeah this is everything related with me social networks uh, everything so uh, for people listening out there where can they reach you on the interwebs you can reach out in my social net uh, networks Twitter LinkedIn and and you know uh, I'm available if you want to talk about this so yeah reach out. All right, great. Well, thank you for coming on, David. And until next time, folks, we'll talk to you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.